0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keen on the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Thursday, November the 17th, 2022. Um, we seem to be living in a particularly turbulent time of capitalism uh elon musk seems to be in the process of destroying twitter amazon's lost uh, i think a trillion dollars of value uh this year uh, dramatic ups and downs and employment uh crypto of course is disintegrating and yet on the other hand some things stay the same um walmart for example if you invested thousand dollars in walmart 10 years ago apparently uh you'd have about $10,000, right? Uh, not a thousand. And uh, if, you invest, if you invested $1,000 in Walmart 10 years ago, today in 2022, you'd have about $1,000. So, Walmart, in an odd way, is uh, the company that remains constant. It's been in the news recently. It recently paid $3.1 billion to settle a series of opioid uh, lawsuits. Uh, And given the downturn in the economy, uh, some people are still optimistic about Walmart. Uh, Apparently U.S. consumers are seeking bargains, no surprise given the layoffs, given inflation. Um, And of course, in many ways, U.S. consumers are typical Walmart workers. We all seek bargains because our pay isn't improving and if anything, it's going down. That seems to be the message in part of a new book on walmart with my guest today rick wartzman still broke walmart's remarkable transformation and the limits of socially conscious capitalism Uh, rick is joining us from boston i've known him a while so rick it seems as if your book is saying two things simultaneously on the one hand the workers at walmart like most of us are still broke on the other hand the company has reinvented itself how How um, how compatible is that within the same company? It's an odd situation,
1: isn't it? Well, it is in many ways. And uh, look, I went into this um, having been a longtime Walmart critic, but realizing that they really had started to make some changes um, back in really 2015. They raised their starting pay across the company for the first time in their history, Um, founded in 1962 by Sam Walton, of course. Um, and, you know, their average starting pay at that time was $7.65 an hour, just a shade over the federal minimum wage of $7.25. And um, they started to take some steps. They, they raised their wages in a two-year, two-step process then to $10. They've continued to raise wages to $12. They've invested in training. They've improved their benefits. They have more full-time workers now and fewer part-timers Providing more stability for people, which is great, and there were a whole lot of reasons, and we can get into it why they made those changes. But I well, let me call you uh, out, uh, Rick. You're saying, yeah, great. I,
0: think- I mean, we got the. You wrote something in the in fast company about the growth mm-hmm. in wages. So they went from nine dollars an hour to fifteen. Does that deserve great? I mean, or is that just okay, or is that mm-hmm. simply long called for, and they're still catching up? with treating people decently. Is that what you would call socially conscious capitalism, paying your,
1: your workers barely a, a living wage? Well, no, I don't in the end. And, and that's really the point here. So um, look, I think in the context of Walmart's own history and uh, you know where it came from, their transformation, as the subtitle says, has genuinely been remarkable. And, and it's a fascinating backstory and narrative to how they came to that place. But at the end of the day, the average Walmart worker still makes less than twenty nine thousand dollars a year. And as you say and you point out, that's not a living wage really anywhere in America. And I think, you know, still broke reflects kind of three things. The fact that their workers then are largely still broke in all too many cases. They're still on food stamps and Medicaid and things like that. The company therefore itself is still broken, although they have you know made real strides. Um, and should be recognized for that. They have done more than many other companies have done. And and then thirdly, really, we live in a broken system. Uh, The whole whole system is broken.
0: Let's compare Walmart then with Amazon, which of course is the digital side, the next generation Walmart in many ways. If you'd invested that thousand dollars in Amazon 20 years ago look at the the chart right it's the classic hockey stick the right way around for investors um if you if you spend a thousand dollars on Amazon stock uh, in 2012 uh, you'd have right. uh, not, uh, not, not two hundred and sixty three thousand dollars right not twenty four hundred
1: dollars yeah exactly
0: yeah uh, two hundred and fifty six uh, thousand dollars in terms of this comparison it's unavoidable to compare Amazon and Walmart and Amazon is, is anything but an ideal company. In some ways they perhaps treat their workers worse than Walmart, but how does the reinvention of Walmart look in the context of the digital revolution over the last 30, 25 years, and particularly in the context of Amazon?
1: Yeah. So I think first of all, it's fair to say that Amazon, its presence, uh, hangs over everything that Walmart does. Walmart competes against lots of other companies. Of course, they're, you know, heavily into the grocery business or the biggest supermarket company in America. Um, but you know, they are, and obviously Amazon is in that business too now. Um, but you know, Amazon compared to every other, uh, rival that Walmart has just, you know, it has a, it has an outsized presence and, and, you know, I am quite sure that it, that, it it weighs on and informs every move that Walmart makes and probably vice versa. Right. Amazon is watching Walmart. They are the two Goliaths in in retail that are, you know, slugging it out. Walmart has obviously done a lot to innovate and to to move online as well. Um, and, you know, they've done everything from sort of have their own version of Amazon Prime to, you know, all kinds of other uh, you know, features that they are offering um, in the digital space. And so, you know, I think Walmart is actually a hugely innovative company. Um, And, uh, you know, those two are going to go toe to toe for for quite some time. In terms of working conditions, though, I think you really hit on it. I think, you know, overall or on average, Amazon pays a shade more than Walmart does. Um, But I personally would actually much rather work for Walmart at this point, even in a retail job. Than in an Amazon warehouse or in a or in a Walmart warehouse for that I mean, isn't matter. isn't that
0: rather? Wait, Rick, I, I don't always like to bring Hitler up in these sorts of conversations because that's a bit <laughs> okay unimaginative. But isn't that rather like comparing living in Stalin's Russia and Hitler's Germany? I mean, neither particularly nice. Yeah. So if one is slightly better than the other, it doesn't necessarily mean much.
1: No, I I, I wouldn't use that particular. <laughs> no, analogy. I know I've chosen Probably. that. I'm not saying you should,
0: but but it's still. I mean, nobody would want to work in an Amazon warehouse. The That's stories are appalling. No, I think it's the fact Walmart is a little better says nothing one way or the other.
1: Well, I think it's a less creepy company to work for than, than Amazon is, is Is all I'm saying and le- less oppressive in many ways. But I think there are commonalities. Look, they're both at the end of the day for their frontline workers. These are not you know, living wage jobs. They they pay too little um, workers really struggled to make ends meet on them. Part of a, an army of low paid workers across America. And, you know, another interesting commonality is what we see now in terms of uh, unions, uh, you know, the Amazon union trying to organize Amazon workers. Right. Uh, and it's had, you know, a little bit of success, but not much success um, so far. Uh, but, you know, was able to organize JFK 8, the one big warehouse and, and a really seminal movement for organized labor in America this past year, um, but has since had, you know, two defeats at other warehouses. Um, the playbook that you see Amazon using to try and really break the union is one that Walmart wrote itself many years ago. It's the
0: same playbook. Right. Um, for people watching here, there's a piece by Adam Leshinsky who's been on the show. I, I know you know him, uh, Rick. Yeah. Um, on unions, and he actually quotes you quite sympathetically in your book in, 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 in the piece. Did, did Sam Walton invent the playbook, Sam Walton being the founder of Walmart, in terms of this profound hostility to unions? Is that the key to their business success, the fact that they've got away with not, not, play, not paying their workers a
1: proper living wage? Look, I think that embedded in Walmart's business model, as it is for many retailers, if not, you know, most retailers and across many other industries in this country, you know, over the last 50 years or so in particular, we have created just an ever larger number of workers who are not paid enough. They are not paid a living wage. Many of them end up on public assistance. So in effect, taxpayers end up subsidizing these companies, um, and, and making up the gap uh, so that people can just scrape by. And they're, you know, they have painful choices at the end of every month that that they make, right? These are people who have to trade off between food and heating in the winter and medicine and paying rent. And they are often really squeezed. They're one thing going slightly wrong in their lives away from really spiraling into, into absolute crisis. And it's terrible. And it's not a small number of people across the, the labor force You know, my research suggests it's anywhere from 25 to 40 percent of working people in America live like that. That is, you know, 40 to 65 million working people, people who get up, go to work, work hard every day, play by the rules and then can't really make it.
0: Rick, you're a a longtime observer of of American capitalism. You're involved with the Drucker Institute. Peter Drucker, of course, being the one of the great theorists of. Global capitalism, uh, from the early part of the 20th century. I'm not quite sure what he would make of this. Um, you, you you involve this, uh, you include this this term conscious conscious capitalism in your title. We've done a number of shows on it. One, for example, with Alan Murray, who talks mm-hmm. about yep. searching for the elusive soul of American business. He seems to believe in conscious capital um, conscious capitalism, conscious capitalism. But it seems to me as if this whole thing, most of it stemming from either right wing newspapers like The Wall Street Journal or America's business schools, is a complete and utter fraud. On the one hand, everyone's going on and on about conscious capitalism, capitalism with a soul. And on the other hand, you're revealing the real truth that the vast majority of the American workforce, if they're lucky enough still to have full time jobs at places like Walmart, are still broke. Is that fair?
1: I think to a large degree, it is fair. I mean, I think certainly this idea of whether you call it conscious capitalism or now stakeholder capitalism that, you know, which was embraced several years ago now by the business round table. And they sort of explicitly rejected this idea of shareholder primacy, putting shareholders first. Now it's, you're going to take care of all your stakeholders. I think the, I think there has been a change in some ways. I think companies are more aware of the issues. Um, that the public is expecting them to behave in certain ways and their responsibilities to society. But I think that for their part, by and large, the rhetoric is greatly outpacing the reality on the ground. And I think it's very easy for corporate leaders to drink their own Kool-Aid and uh, And, and, believe that they're doing more than they're doing.
0: I mean, we give them the out so they can show off about not giving plastic bags or they can talk about being sympathetic to black lives matter or uh, feminist issues or, Mm -hmm. or not liking donald trump but ultimately the core issue is how much they pay their workers to what extent is walmart playing both these games very very cleverly i'm assuming that their their marketing department has really embraced the idea of conscious capitalism are they Running with that one, Rick, are they showing off? If you go to the Walmart website, would they tell you that they are a a decent company trying to make the world a better place, not perhaps uh, allowing people to drink, uh, uh, to to serve uh, plastic bottles in the stores and that sort of thing?
1: yeah i i think look i i'm you sound a little more um even i don't know hard on them or or maybe uh, a little more cynical than even i am um, i'm not cynical but, Rick. i'm joking
0: yeah. i'm horribly cynical but you know i i can afford to be cynical that's the nature of my brand and
1: my show you have to be I, a little I, bit I more. so so i i'm i maybe a little more or more generous and and look i come to this honestly i think that walmart Again, I didn't compose the subtitle of my book, Walmart's Remarkable Transformation Casually. They have done a lot, and they've done a lot in the context anyway of their own history and where they came from. And I'll give you two numbers in a second to illustrate where they've gone and but where they fall short. But but I would say on the environmental front, and this is not me, this is not my area of expertise, I write about labor and and the workplace, Um, but... Look, lots of environmental groups, whether it's the Environmental Defense Fund, Conservation International, many others now consider Walmart a a real sustainability leader. Are they perfect? No. But they have done a lot to be a greener, more sustainable company. They are seen in the context of corporate America as doing quite a lot and, and being a leader. They've done many other really positive things that they've embraced to use their scale and their logistics network and their size. They are giving away, you know, they've given away billions of pounds of food. Uh, to, you know, to help the hungry and they have a major uh, partnership with Feeding America. That's the real deal. It's not just for PR or anything like that. Um, it, it does a lot of good. They have been able to lower the price of prescription drugs to a degree that you know they've really helped uh, prevent anti-hypertensive you know, disease in America and, and, and things like that and cut into that. So I give them a lot of credit, but they have moved particularly slowly on the wage side and, and now that they have started to move, I don't think they've moved far enough. So I'm going to give you two numbers, okay? One is, if you look at what they've invested from 2015, when they made that first pay raise that I talked about, till the end of last year, in higher wages, in better worker training, in improved scheduling, in better benefits, and so on, they've invested 5 to $6 billion in their workforce. That's real money. That's not insignificant. That is a remarkable transformation. At the same time they also repurchased 43 billion dollars worth of their stock over that same period now i look at that and i say are they embracing stakeholder capitalism yeah to some degree they are five to six billion dollars is real money are they rejecting shareholder primacy well no they bought back 43 billion dollars worth of their shares in a bid to goose up the stock price and so you know you asked me at the outset i think you can hold two truths simultaneously it's been a remarkable transformation and in many ways things are still broke the
0: ft uh, review of your book suggested that the fair comparison is with someone like general motors and their ability to perhaps pay their workers a little bit more and treat them better we did a show uh about a new book about mary barra she's certainly no mm-hmm. great friend of the unions or the working class how does Walmart compare to other non-digital traditional American corporations like General Motors, in your view, in terms of how they treat and pay their workers?
1: Well, they come from, first of all, very different places, right, as, as you say. So General Motors really you know, was a paradynamic company of kind of post-World War II American capitalism, uh, where they had ever-rising pay, better benefits, job security retirement security health security right good medical coverage and so on but that was really driven by their relationship with the united auto workers and other large industrial companies that were unionized general electric us steel and so on followed the same pattern and there were great exceptions particularly for people of color and women but you saw kind of a huge swath of the working public in america their standard of living rise. This was the creation of the great American middle class through the you know, mid-40s, 50s, 60s, into the early 1970s. Walmart you know, always had a different model um, and retailing by and large has. And this is not to let them off the hook. They often point to this as an excuse. I don't really think it's a valid one. I think everyone should be paid a living wage no matter what they do. Um, but you know, Walmart didn't come, they, they've had, they were anti union. They beat back the unions at every turn over their history. Whenever there was the slightest, you know, inroads made by any union, Walmart was able to beat them back. And so they came from a very different place. Um, look, GM over time, like a lot of industrial companies, uh, you know, when they were going through their worst times, they scaled back on their union contracts, benefits, pay, and things like that went into reverse. They did two-tier wage systems where new hires wouldn't be paid, be paid the prevailing union wage and things like that. Um, they've, they've made up a lot of ground more recently, um, but it'll always be a different relationship with their frontline workers because there's a union at GM and there's no union at a Walmart. What about the longer-term
0: damage that Walmart has done to America and American capitalism? Um, the argument is that Amazon destroyed the high street. But actually, there was an argument before that, which it was Walmart, that independent small, small stores, family owned stores were essentially driven out of business
1: by Walmart. Is there
0: some truth to that, do you think, Rick?
1: I do. I think there's some truth. I mean, I I have actually kind of a mixed reaction on the economic side. Look, I think, you know, most people can lament the fact that Walmart and other big box retailers and chain stores and things like that changed the landscape of community in America. And right, we all love the charm of a main street, a small town main street where the mom and pop stores are there and family-owned businesses that pass from one generation to the next are there. I mean, there's something romantic about it and lovely and and it's great um, in terms of the aesthetic of the community. It's interesting when you step back and think about it, and I've done some research into this, economically, I'm not so sure those jobs paid better than Walmart jobs did, and Walmart may even provide more benefits in terms of health coverage and things like that to its workers than a typical, you know, you worked at a local hardware store as, you know, you weren't part of the owner's family. You are just happen to work as a cashier or whatever. I'm not sure you got any benefits really, you know, or, or much at all. And so and I'm not sure you were paid much more than minimum wage in those jobs. So I don't know, in a pure economic terms for frontline workers, I'm not sure it's a whole lot worse. There is evidence that when Walmart comes into a community uh, that wages are depressed um, across the community, at least historically, that's been the case. Um, There are also studies, you know, that show no effect. And there's some studies that show a counter effect. So the, the, the literature, the scholarly literature is a little all over the place on that.
0: What about in terms of cause and effect, um, Rick, of, If you like the neoliberal state of America, the disappearance of the middle class this increasing inequality is Walmart, in your view, a cause of that or a consequence or both simultaneously? I'm guessing both.
1: Uh, I would say both, but I, I would say a cause. Look, Walmart for a long time now has been the biggest employer in America. And one thing that you do hear the company say when you sort of take them on and say, look great, you've done a lot. You've pushed wages higher. Your, your average worker now makes a bit over $17 an hour. Although again, that full-time worker there is average 36 hours a week, not even 40. So it all pencils out the average workers making still less than $29,000 a year. And you say, why don't you pay more? And their answer invariably, they give several reasons, but but one will always be, well, look, we pay we pay the market rate. We pay the market rate in every market we're in or even higher. You know, we're, we're, we're right where we need to be from a competitive standpoint. And what they neglect to say in that is, well, they're the biggest employer in America. They're the, certainly the biggest retailer in America. They spent decades tamping down wages. They are the market, in fact, in many places. They are the standard setter. And so, you know, it becomes this kind of circular argument, right, to say, well, we follow the market. You are the market. Uh, we had Jessica
0: Bruder on the show year ago. She, of course, is the author of Nomadland, which got turned into an Oscar-winning movie in 2021 last year. Nomadland seems to address an America defined by its precariat, by people traveling around from job to job. But the way Bruder and others treat this precariat economy it doesn't seem to be radically different from the kind of
1: economy that, that Walmart has created, is it? I don't think so. I mean, I again, I see Walmart as both a, you know, a a a cause of and a and a kind of reflection of uh, this bigger wage crisis that we have in America, right? That twenty-five to forty percent of the labor force really struggling to make ends meet. Um, I think it's terrible, and and I think it's a cause of a lot of our, uh, you know, social kind of fracturing well, I wanna, of this, I, come the of this.
0: Um, I mean how much uh, you spent a lot of time you had access to senior Walmart people who of course mm-hmm. I'm sure gave you their side of the story how many Walmart workers did
1: you talk to for this book um I don't know dozens you know some that the company set yourself, up
0: can we generalize about their I mean, I'm guessing that many of them will say, well, we're not particularly thrilled to be here, but we don't have any alternative. Is that the the general consensus?
1: Yeah, I'd say a couple of things. I, I think that's fair. First of all, I, I think it is totally fair to say that, you know, the, the typical Walmart worker, if there is such a thing, um, is, you know, many for many Walmart workers. Right. They're not choosing between Walmart and even a, you know, a job at General Motors, a unionized job at General Motors. They're choosing between Walmart and a job at McDonald's or maybe a job at Starbucks or something like that, right? That's, that is where they are. And, and so, um, you know, they're, they're often trading one low paid employer for another. Um, I do think that people have really mixed reactions to working there. Um, I've talked to workers who really like it, I've talked to workers who feel like they've been given opportunity to rise. We also know that, like most parts of retail, and they've done a lot to improve this by raising pay, but their turnover is still, I'm sure, very high. Um, they won't reveal exactly what it is, but retail, uh, you know, is something like seventy. What would you guess? Uh, I'm guessing it's at least got to be around the industry average, so maybe seventy-five percent turnover or something like that.
0: What does that mean? I so mean,
1: that means that of, um, of, mean of every four, of months? every four positions that you see there, three of those people will be gone if you came back a year later.
0: So within every year of of a hundred Walmart workers, 75 will leave.
1: Yeah. Every year. Correct. Yeah. Retail, something like that. It might look maybe it's 60 or maybe it's 80, I don't know, but it, it's probably somewhere And in they're there. leaving
0: and because they're
1: unhappy, they found other work, they get sick, they get fired. Why? I think it's all kinds of reasons. I think it's, you know, first of all, when you're in a really low paid job and you're really struggling, if you can find something else that pays you even you know 25 cents an hour or more or offers you more stable hours um you'll you'll jump to that opportunity i also think that people leave because um being working poor is hard and if you have one crisis you know your kid gets sick and you uh, miss work and you get dinged and you you know may not may end up in a bad place with your boss and you don't come back um you know there's i think there are all kinds of reasons i will say look in general you know, Walmart is hard, Walmart's hard to generalize about, let me put it that way. It's got, I believe now, up to 1.7 million U.S. workers, right? More than a million and a half people. So I describe in the book, you know, to say, what's the typical Walmart worker, you know, do they like it or don't like it? I mean, it's like, I don't know, what's a city with a million and a half people, you know, plunge in and say, hey, does everyone here like it? I mean, it depends. What neighborhood are you in? you know what day of the week are you catch them what do they do i mean it's 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 a lot of people it is it is pretty hard to generalize and i think you will find people who really like it and you find many who don't and many many who leave amazon's a leader in
0: artificial intelligence and smart machines and robots working its warehouses um, which makes sense in, in the context that warehouse work at amazon is particularly unpleasant but people choose to do it what's walmart's approach to ai to smart robots i'm assuming that labor is still uh their biggest expense and that they would be comfortable replacing their workers with machines
1: if um if they were cheaper and more efficient is that fair rick i think for i think for certain roles for sure and i think you know they've definitely are experimenting with a lot and and implementing technology they're not again they're not a A backward company. They're they're an innovation leader. Um, I know this from you know some we do a set of company rankings uh, at the Drucker Institute where we look at all kinds of you know patents and you know the kinds of high tech hiring that companies are doing and R and D spending. And Walmart's always a leader in in all of that stuff. And so, um, I mean, Amazon's an off the charts leader, but Walmart is is hardly a laggard in in that. They they profile like a tech company. So yeah, they're doing a lot in that space. But their employment, you know, their, their payroll keeps growing; it's not shrinking. Um, and some places they have, you know, are using technology in concert with humans. So, um, you know, deploying people with more, you know, technology g- gadgets to find things on shelves more quickly, to you know, uh, to to kind of pick out m- items for consumers and get them loaded in somebody's car if they're in the parking lot quickly, you know, that kind of thing. So I think they're trying to right now blend people and and machines um i don't see their employment you know declining hugely as far as the eye can see anyway you spend a lot of time thinking talking writing about walmart what
0: single thing could change which is reasonable that might make it a better company and allow its workers to earn more money should should unions should should there be legislation to make forming unions easier? Is the problem that it's still hard to, to integrate
1: unions into 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 Walmart? That is one problem. Um, so first of all, if you ask what's reasonable, um, you know, I think, look, my whole look at Walmart got me to believe that we really need a public solution. We need a a federally mandated living wage of $20 an hour, which I'm sure many people will think is just completely lunacy and and radical um and i can explain why i don't think that's the case but but i feel like we do need government intervention because what walmart showed me again i I don't think they did all this for pr reasons you know raising pay making that five to six billion dollars of investment that they did i think they did it for business reasons they needed to uh, improve their quality of customer service that meant not having such high turnover as they did in past years that meant investing in their workers in new ways, and they've done that. I do think that they, you know, want to be seen as a socially responsible company for PR reasons, but for internal reasons for their own employees. And, and I think that um, you know they've again they've they've really moved in a more positive direction. But if you use Walmart as a case study and you say this is a company really trying, but look where they end up. Again, with their average worker still making less than twenty nine thousand dollars a year even after all this effort and all this, you know, trying, to me, it suggests that corporate America will never move far enough, fast enough on its own. And that's why we really need a government solution. And yes, having, you know, giving workers more voice and power by making it easier to organize and collectively bargain is part of it. And just implementing a living wage, raising the minimum wage would, would be great.
0: The political dimension is complicated. Uh, again, I- We can't generalize, of course, here, but I'm guessing that a lot of Walmart employees, particularly white Walmart employees, voted for Trump. They're angry, and he resonated with that lower middle class or underclass. Um, to, To what extent is the Walmart situation bound up in the rise of anger and resentment in American political culture?
1: Yeah. So first of all, I think it's important to, to recognize that Walmart is the biggest employer of Black Americans, and it is, um, you know, not unusual, right? People of color and women are clustered in a lot of the lowest-paying industries, like retail, like caregiving, and and so on. And so, um, I think I think I'd start there and just and just sort of paint a picture of what a lot of the the workforces you know is like. Um, I think that to get to your question though. Um, Look, I think that when people make so little um, and they are really struggling, it, they become much more susceptible to looking f- to blame somebody, which makes them really susceptible to somebody like a Donald Trump who seems to have easy answers to things and of course is demonizing and scapegoating the other. And, and so I think that when people struggle to get by, whatever the color of their skin, Um, it makes them much more susceptible to their worst impulses. And I think that the fact that we are in a wage crisis in this country and have been for 50 years where people who work hard every day can't make ends meet, that makes them vulnerable to all kinds of demagoguery and really bad actors coming in um, and, and again, playing on their, their worst fears and impulses speaking of demagoguery rick of course
0: there's trump don't think uh you will find any disagreement with me and most of my audience on trump but what about the china question uh increasing hostility towards the chinese the chinese economic model we've done a number of shows on this this week seems to be a growing hawkish consensus on china and particularly the economic relationship between the united states and china if there was a full-scale economic cold war between China and the United States if we started putting very aggressive tariffs on goods made in China, how would that affect Walmart? Is Walmart dependent on Chinese manufacturing, of of manufacturing uh, very cheap goods because the Chinese factories, of course, pay even worse than Walmart and and then bringing these goods to the
1: United States? Yeah, historically, certainly, uh, Walmart has been a, a huge uh, importer of uh, of goods from China. I, I don't know the numbers actually today. It wasn't something I looked into uh, particularly closely, but I, I'm sure that their shelves are full of goods made in China. They do have a big, you know, uh, made in America uh, kind of initiative. This has also been true in the past of Walmart, and it kind of ebbs and flows. At the end of the day, they tend to do things that, um, you know, fill their shelves with the cheapest you know, price goods that they can of, of, you know, good quality. And and they try and keep their prices low. They actually see that as their primary social mission is to make goods affordable for U.S. consumers. And so um, I, I'm sure that they would take quite a hit, uh, you know, if they really came to the point that, you know, we were not trading with uh, with China. Hope, hopefully, you know, even from what I read right this week, maybe, maybe tensions have, have ebbed at least a tiny bit. So
0: does Biden talk about this? If Biden runs again in 2024, is it conceivable that he will dangle at an $18, 19 $20 minimum wage? Uh, I mean, I take yeah. your point, and I'm in your, very much in your camp. Is this politically feasible in the America of the 2020s?
1: You know, it's, it's hard to see it, obviously, getting past. Look, the, the federal minimum wage is still stuck at $7.25 an hour, where it's been since 2009. And so, you know, we can't even get to ten dollars, which even some Republicans have called for. You know, much less fifteen. Right? We all know about the fight for fifteen, which is now a decade old. You know, so will we get to the twenty dollars an hour that I'm calling for? Look, I'm not a fool. I don't think that that's immediately going to happen. But I think we've got to start to have a conversation around. And and look, I would love nothing more. I, I had a, I was at a talk yesterday where the chief economist from the from the Biden Labor Department was in the audience. Maybe, maybe I you know piqued her curiosity, and and uh, I'd love for them or somebody to go back who has some stature and say, yeah, twenty dollar an hour living wage, then frankly index to inflation or index to the median wage, so that we don't have to keep re- relitigating this, and that it it can rise as the cost of living rises, makes sense. I mean, if you if you say twenty dollars an hour, it scares people. If you sort of pause and you go, well, you know, for a full-time worker, that's just a little over $40,000 a year. That begins to make some sense, right? Given the cost of housing, the cost of transportation, the cost of childcare, things like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more one of the oddest things, uh, Rick, and we've done lots of shows about this, is how so many of the people who are actually on this minimum wage are opposed to raising it. But that's another story, another question. Well, congratulations. It's an important book and, and you're much more moderate and reason than I am which uh, as I said is <laughs> hard but uh, that's your job my job is to be outrageous uh, it's an important book still broke Walmart's remarkable transformation and the limits of socially conscious capitalism I think it reveals really the profound limits I think the the subtitle is a little bit generous to conscious capitalism but it's an important book and an important subject congratulations and you're a very responsible and fair author I think uh, what else are you reading, Rick, these days? I hope you're entertaining and amusing yourself. You're not just reading and writing about minimum wage workers in America.
1: You no, know, I, I do I do read a lot about this stuff. It's funny, I, I yeah. If I really think, I think, you know, I, I finished recently um, David Gellis's book, The Man Who Broke Capitalism. Yeah, I want to
0: get him on the show. You know, it's funny. A lot of people have mentioned that book. That's the Jack Welch book, of course.
1: That's the Jack Welch book. And And what I really... Liked about it is as sort of um, I think nuanced as my you know book is and ask people to hold these two different ideas simultaneously. Right, there is a remarkable transformation, and it still falls way short. Um, he's is like a hammer. I mean, it just goes after Welch in a way. It's just such a different style than my writing and my approach to things. I see things in gray, maybe. He's very black and white. So I was kind of fascinated as a writer. I have to get him on now. the
0: show. I can compete yeah. with him. Uh, did, what, what did Sam Walton think of Jack Welch? Were they close friends?
1: No, I don't think, well, I don't, I don't know if they had a relationship at all. Um, I'm trying to think, I mean, Welch was certainly around because they would have overlapped. I think Sam Walton died in 1992. So they would have had some period of overlap. I, I don't know if they had a relationship. Um, nothing I've ever heard about for sure. Um, and then, uh, well, thank yeah. you, uh, Rick. Right.